Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. For the past year, we've been told by the pundits and the politicians that we need to follow the science when dealing with COVID. I agree with that statement. But what happens when these same elites, the ones in positions of power, do precisely the opposite? You know, I'm talking about Gavin Newsom and Andrew Cuomo. Today, I expose the hypocrisy and the hollowness of the so-called experts, separating COVID facts from fiction. This is Out Loud with Joanna Colby. Welcome back to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. I'm really excited for today's show. My guest is Phil Kirpin, the president of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, which promotes limited government, free market economics, and the commitment to the principles of the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution. Phil is also a syndicated columnist, policy analyst, and the chairman of the Internet Freedom Coalition. Phil has written extensively on COVID-19, and that's what he and I are going to discuss today. COVID facts and COVID nonsense. Let's go. Phil Kirpin, welcome to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. We're pleased to have you today. We know that you're an expert in the COVID space and you've been following this uh, very closely. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Currently uh, in Panama <laughs> doing some research, but glad to be on with you. So I want to I really begin by digging into how much the government's response to COVID, especially in blue states, has been uh, politicized. So many pundits, politicians keep telling us to follow the science when it comes to COVID and listen to the so-called experts. But sometimes I wonder if some of these people know any more than the average person. And as an example of that, I want to play some uh, tape from one of Joe Biden's key experts uh, and one of his advisors. His name is Andy Slavitt. And he's a senior advisor on COVID response. He was on MSNBC with host Stephanie Rule. And this is what she had to say. States like Florida and California, um, California basically in lockdown and their numbers aren't that different from Florida. Look, there's so much of this virus that we think we understand, that we think we can predict. That's just beyond a little bit beyond our explanation. What we do know is that the more careful people are, the more they mask and social distance, and the quicker we vaccinate, the quicker it goes away and the less it spreads. 
but we have got to get better visibility into variants. We don't know what role they play, um, large events, etc. But the, you know, this is a, as we all have learned by this time, this is a virus that continues to surprise us. Um, it's very hard to predict, and you know, all around the country, we've got to continue to do a better job. And I think I think we are, but we're not done yet. That was interesting and bizarre all at the same time. Why? Because this is supposed to be an expert, someone who is advising the president of the United States, who, by way of the last election, criticized the Trump administration and said that they didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know what they were doing, rather. And they were going to, if Biden won, uh, provide a strategy and a plan that would change the trajectory of the virus immediately and he basically said he doesn't know what's going on and the host i'll add was wrong on the numbers she said that florida and california were partly the same and recent numbers show that in florida there's 1.84 million cases in california that's 3.51 million cases so it's not the same by any measure what do you have to say to something like that well, I think that, uh, you know, he couldn't answer that question because there is no answer that's consistent with the things that the, you know, lockdown artists and the Biden administration, the Democrats in general have been saying. Uh, you know, it's a big problem for them that a state, California, that's been in some form of lockdown pretty much continuously for nine months has worse COVID measures than the state of Florida, where all restrictions ended, I think, five months ago now. And, you know, you can't... Uh, you know, you can't explain that away the way he did by saying, oh, there's still a lot we don't understand. But what we do know are these various restrictions work. And they say, well, no, no, the whole point of the question is we don't know they work because the place that isn't doing any of those things is doing better than the place that's doing all of them, uh, you know, the most strenuously of any of the states. And I, I think the real lesson, contrary to what, uh, you know, the so-called experts continue to want to tell us is uh, that the masks and the distancing and the closed school closures and the business closures actually have about no effect. Uh, you still get the virus. Uh, you just get all of the educational and economic and uh, social harms of those interventions on top of still having the harms of the virus. And, you know, it, early on, it looked like, you know, they must be doing everything right in California. They've got lower numbers. But I think it was just sort of luck that they hadn't had their turn yet. And of course, you know, when they had their turn, they had a very, very bad wave. And, you know, the, the lesson, I think, is you can't stop a highly infectious respiratory virus through, uh, you know, government dictates and policies. You might be able to by developing vaccines and treatments. And we did that very quickly. But you're not going to do it through lockdown orders. That just doesn't work. But they're never going to admit that because if they admit that, uh, what did they put everyone through all of this pain and suffering for on top of you know, the virus harms that happened anyway. Well, I can tell you the the lockdowns work for a particular purpose, and that's higher suicide rates and poverty. That's what we get with lockdowns. And interestingly enough, I lived in Los Angeles from 2017 up into May last year when I decided to move two months into the lockdown to Miami, Florida. So <laughs> we see what these lockdowns are doing. They're making poor people even more poor and is depressing the hell out of a whole lot of people. And it's interesting that you pointed out something about Slavit. You recently pointed out on Twitter that he's a partisan with an MBA who actually worked as an investment banker. He only entered the world of healthcare on the business side and has no real medical expertise. And yet Biden and the media have declared him a COVID expert. I, I, I just don't understand 
why Joe Biden would have appointed him as his point man. Do you have any idea why he would have? Well, he uh, he was an executive vice president at United Health Group, and um, he went into the Obama administration. He was an acting administrator for Medicare and Medicaid. He, he was never the uh, full administrator because uh, he had to get an ethics waiver so that he could oversee his previous employer, and he sent them a bunch of bailout money. And the Senate, uh, you know, they didn't confirm him, which was good, but they also didn't bothered to have the vote to vote against him and actually knock him out of that office, which is what I was trying to get them to do at the time. But he is a uh, his background is as a health insurance executive and then as an Obama administration bureaucrat. And, you know, he certainly has no medical expertise. The, the other thing that's kind of amazing about him is, um, uh, you know, up until when he went into the Biden administration, he was constantly hawking the sponsor of his podcast, which was a mask that claimed it could zap the virus and disintegrate the virus, uh, which is sort of quackery. I mean, it's a it's a fantastical claim, uh, you know, just sort of taking advantage of people who are scared of the virus to sell them a product. Uh, and, and that wasn't a problem for the Biden administration either. I, I Essentially, I think he's where he is in the Biden administration because he had a big Twitter following. And, you know, they'd say, okay, let's get this guy. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, he's respected on the left on this stuff. But it's a, uh, it's a very odd choice. It's not clear what he brings to the table, uh, really. Um, but I'm not sure what he's actually doing other than doing these interviews in the daily briefing. So I don't know that, that, that his, I don't know that he, I don't know that it matters too much uh, that he doesn't seem to, you know, have any particular relevant expertise. Wow. This, this is. Problem than that, though, is it's not just a guy like him. I mean, it's, it, it's. You know, you hear the same kind of stuff from people like Fauci, uh, you know, from our new CDC director. You know, they don't, you know, the, the fact that the data doesn't match the policies they've been prescribing doesn't cause them to reconsider the policies. Uh, they just they, they just gloss over it and keep saying the same things anyway. Yeah. And then we talk about other experts. One in which you mentioned on, on Twitter is Martin Koldroff, uh, who is a, a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School who's advocated against lockdowns. He wanted a balanced approach. Um, and if, if I'm quoting, you noted that he has advocated a balanced approach to COVID to allowing those minimal risk of death to live their lives by better protecting those at higher risk. But he has been shunned by some of those elites who usually love Harvard because he um, is advocating for people to live their lives. Can you go more into that, please? Yeah, uh, Martin Kulldorff is one of the top infectious disease epidemiologists in the world, and uh, he partnered with two other top infectious disease epidemiologists, one from Stanford named Jay Bhattacharya and one from Oxford uh, named Sunetra Gupta, and they put out something called the Great Barrington Declaration, where they basically said, look, the, the principles of public health and epidemiology are that you need to look at all of public health, not just one issue or one aspect or one disease, and the lockdowns cause enormous public health harms. What we need to do instead is focus to the extent we can on focus protection for the truly vulnerable, people who are advanced age or medically vulnerable, uh, use the vaccines to protect them now that we have it. Before we had the vaccines, try to you know, shelter those people, but otherwise younger people should be able to go about their, you know, younger people who are not medically vulnerable should be allowed to go about their lives normally. And you know, I've talked to Dr. Koldorf and he basically said, you know, this is what all infectious disease epidemiologists believe. 
uh, when they're not kind of, uh, you know, being pressured into going along with this new public narrative. Uh, this has been the normal conventional wisdom in the field forever up until last year, and yet now somehow it's become sort of a minority viewpoint to be dismissed. And, you know, from the perspective of somebody who's, you know, not a doctor, not a scientist, but has been following these issues closely from sort of the economic standpoint, you know, it, it's remarkable because whenever we say, you know, it doesn't look like these lockdowns are working, here's the data, people will say, well, you're not an epidemiologist, you're not cred you're not qualified to make that assessment. You say, well, no, but I'm listening to people like Martin Koldor from Harvard and Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford and Sinetra Gupta from Oxford, and they say, oh, well, they don't count. No, that's not science. It's anti-science if you listen to people like uh, those top uh, epidemiologists who are anti-lockdown. It only counts as science if you listen to the ones who want lockdown, the more political uh, epidemiologists. Yeah, it, it, and that's the thing. Is this uh, people are listening to those with the education and the background who've studied the science, or are they looking at the folks who have the more uh, democratic-leaning or liberal-leaning political ideologies that align with the, the politicians who are advocating for these lockdowns? That's what's so disturbing about this process, because you have folks who clearly have demonstrated. I'm talking about uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has clearly demonstrated. You can send your kids to school. You can open up the entire state. You can go to restaurants. Clubs and bars are open open in the, the state of Florida. There's a lot of different venues. People are actually living their lives and folks are running away from California in New York because it's a free state. Now, I want to pick up from there in a moment, but first, let's have a quick break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. 
sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. We saw that Governor Gavin Newsom recently has come up with a stimulus package uh, to kind of prop up businesses, uh, give $600 checks in terms of stimulus. Why do you think he's doing that now and he's still trying to keep some of these lockdown measures in place? Well, he doesn't want to admit that, uh, he doesn't want to admit he was wrong. I mean, I think this is the fundamental uh, problem with getting out of these lockdowns in places that still have lots of restrictions is, you know, they, they don't want to come out and say, hey, we did all that for nothing. You sacrificed. You were locked up in your house. Uh, your kids didn't go to school for a year. That was a, my bad. That was a mistake. We got the virus anyway. That didn't accomplish anything. We're going to reverse all of that. Now, it, you, you don't want to do that because, uh, you know, nobody likes admitting they're wrong. And obviously the political consequences for that would be tough. So they, they want to sort of uh, figure a way out where they can claim credit, claim they were the hero. They were the reason that it wasn't much worse. And, and that's why I think uh, the media and the liberals and the advocates of these policies, they, they most, their number one most hated person in America is Governor Ron DeSantis. And Governor Christie Nome is probably number two. Because when you have states that don't go along with what everyone else is doing, and Sweden is sort of the European version of this, didn't go along with this stuff. When you have places that didn't do it and it's say, oh, wait a second, their virus numbers aren't any worse. In fact, Florida is very right in the middle of the pack, very average on all the virus numbers. Say, wait, their virus numbers aren't any worse than anywhere else. Um, but they didn't impose all of this additional hardship. They didn't destroy millions of businesses. They didn't lock kids out of school. You know, why did we do those things? That's a problem. And that's why you, when, when that question gets asked directly, of a Biden administration official, all they can do is sputter. They can't answer it. There is no good answer. Uh, but you know, if you're if you're Gavin Newsom, you don't want to admit you were wrong, but you don't want to get recalled. Uh, so what do you do? We're just going to send money out. We're going to send checks out, and maybe that'll that'll he thinks that'll help him survive. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing because California uh, actually is in a big budget surplus right now, which is a little bit surprising because you might think, you know, they've been destroying so many businesses, they're probably going to destroy their own state finances and then they'll have to, you know, but but actually they're in a big surplus because uh, the stock market's been going up so much. They've got tons of uh, income tax revenue from the stock market. Uh, and also, you know, real estate prices are up for whatever reason. They're kind of up everywhere. And so, you know, California's got like a $25 billion surplus right now. But Democrats in Congress want to spend $41 billion anyway in this next Biden stimulus. $41 billion goes to California to bail out a budget that they don't even need to bail out. They're in surplus. So, you know, if you've got that kind of money coming that you think's coming and you're worried about a recall election, you know, you, you got the money to, you've got the money coming from Washington. Send out checks to people. Buy their favor. I think that's what he's trying to do. You know, you, you talk, talked quite a bit about uh, free market policies, you spend a lot of your career studying it, how to stimulate economic growth. And I'm really interested in terms of what you think about the current COVID package. And let me be very clear up front, I've supported the $2,000 uh, 
stimulus for American families. It was their money. It was their tax dollars. I think it should have went to them. I think it should have really went to them. Mitch McConnell, I think he dropped the ball. And um, Newt Gingrich has also advocated for this as well. When it came to the Georgia Senate races, Donald Trump recently said, hey, if it wasn't for Mitch McConnell dropping the ball and not sending out the $2,000 stimulus to people, then Georgia might have looked different. What do you think the federal government should do in terms of covert relief packages? Should we be spending another $2 trillion, as Biden and the Democrats want to do? Uh, should we be giving stimulus checks to Americans? What is the best way to help those whose jobs and businesses were damaged, destroyed, at no fault of their own while being fiscally responsible? Uh, is, what is it? What do you think we should do here? Well, first of all, we've got a really weird economy right now because it's not a 6% unemployment economy nationally. It's a 3% unemployment economy in places like, you know, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Iowa that never locked down. And, uh, you know, the virus came and went, but it didn't disrupt their economy because they didn't do the lockdowns. Uh, and then you got, you know, 9% unemployment in the real lockdown disaster areas, California, New York, Nevada, Hawaii. Uh, and then you got kind of the other states that are sort of in the middle. And Florida, unfortunately, is more in around the 6% in the middle because their tourism has been hit so hard that even though they didn't lock down, they've also been hit hard economically. Um, and so I think, that to me, the key thing to do for the economy is to get to sort of the all clear where the lockdown states are no longer locked down, where everyone sort of, uh, we can have this great relief rally. We can, you know, people can feel comfortable going outside, get rid of the mask, get back into normal social circumstances. And, you know, the, the economic boom from that, uh, in my judgment, is going to be pretty dramatic and uh, long, long uh, awaited in the places that have been the most locked down, especially. And from a federal policy standpoint, the number one thing they can do to, that you can do to make that happen is to get the vaccines out. Because, you know, the for the people who've been waiting for the vaccine, which is a lot of people who've been holed up in their houses, it's also a lot of politicians who are going to keep restrictions on until there's a high level of vaccination for good or for ill. I mean, I think we shouldn't need vaccines to end all of this, but for good or for ill, you know, that's, I think, what's going to be the ultimate harbinger for the end of all of this. And so if, if I were in charge of federal policy, my priorities one, two, and three would all be getting vaccines uh, authorized and manufactured and out as quickly as possible. I think it's ridiculous that the FDA waits like three or four weeks from when one of these things is filed before they even meet and decide on it. And that's what they're doing right now on the Johnson & Johnson. Uh, it was submitted weeks ago. They're finally going to meet next week. And we'll hope that that uh, passes muster and uh, that supply starts getting out. They've been sitting on AstraZeneca uh, for months. Other countries are using it. We basically told AstraZeneca don't apply in the U.S. We don't want you, you to use your U.K. and Brazil trial data. We need to wait until you have the U.S. trial. I think that's ridiculous. If I were the Biden administration, I would direct the FDA to invite an EUA, an, author, an, an emergency use authorization from AstraZeneca based on uh, their existing trial data. And if we got uh, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca uh, authorized, uh, you, there would basically not be vaccine scarcity. Uh, we would have, we'd be basically, you know, within a month we'd be at anyone who wants it can get it. And I think the, the whole, uh, the, the main sort of line of advocacy that we should all be saying and, and try to get liberals to agree on is, you know, you, you can't have any more restrictions once anybody who wants the vaccine can get it. And, you know, it's a choice. If somebody doesn't want it, they don't have to get it. 
But, you know, once everybody who wants it can get it, you know, really it's each individual's decided for themselves. You don't need any more society-wide restrictions. You really can't justify them. And I think, you know, that that should be the key more so than trying to do more federal spending uh, or, or doing a new round of checks or especially the spending in this bill. I mean, bailing out state and local governments with, you know, the $350 billion when most of them are already in surplus, that's just raiding the Treasury because they can, essentially. Uh, the K-12 education spending in the Biden stimulus is completely ridiculous when you consider that the $54 billion for K-12 that was in the bill that passed in December hasn't been spent yet. Not one penny of it has been spent yet. So we got $54 billion that hasn't gone out yet. They're asking for another $128 billion for K-12. The Congressional Budget Office says the most that they could see of the new $128 billion being spent this year is $6 billion. So the rest of it is all being spent in future years. Most of it is spent over the next eight years. It's, uh, you know, the idea that the schools are not going to open unless that gets approved when none of the money gets spent for years anyway, I think just shows you that they're now, you know, they, they know schools can be open and should be open, but now it's just a matter of let's keep them closed as leverage to raid the U.S. Treasury. And I, I don't think we should reward that by giving them what they want. So uh, most of what's in this bill uh, I'm against. Um, you know, the direct checks are probably the least problematic. Uh, you know, the other thing in this bill that I think is a big problem is the uh, they bring back the federal unemployment bonus. Uh, not the $600 a week it was last year, but at $400 a week. But if you add $400 federal unemployment bonus to, you know, four or $500 state benefit, depending on the state, you know, it's three to 500. Some states, it's only three, some states more. But I mean, you're talking with the $400 bonus on top of, you know, let's say you're in a state where it's, you know, $500, or let's say it's a $400 state benefit and you're doubling it with the federal bonus. Well, you know, $800 a week, you're talking about $40,000 to not work. Now, how do you, how does it, how does a company that's trying to get back off the ground and staff themselves, how do they get people to come back to work when they're making that kind of money to not work? So I think the unemployment bonuses are a big mistake. Uh, I, I uh, you know, as I said, if they're going to spend money, if they can't be talked out of it, then just sending equal checks to everyone is probably the least objectionable way to do it. But in my mind, we don't need to spend more money. We need to really focus on getting these vaccines authorized and, and out the door because uh, that's the one thing that no matter what you're, no matter where you've been on lockdown, no lockdown, anything, uh, I think once the vaccines are available to anyone, it's got to all end. Now, picking up on something you were, were saying about the schools, currently about 40% of public schools are open, about one third are all distance learning and the rest are some combination of the two. Uh, I've seen across the country, especially in places like my hometown of Chicago, where the teachers union refused to enter into schools without um, some funding for vac vaccinations, etc. What role do you think teachers unions are, are playing in preventing schools from reopening across the country? They've given Democrats a lot of money over the years. They've given Democrats a lot of money this past election cycle, including Joe Biden. And it seems as though he's prioritizing the teachers union over the actual children who could really fall behind. And some have really fallen behind, especially those students who may be black or Hispanic. What do, what do you think is uh, the what role is the teachers union really, really playing here? Because it doesn't seem to be the science. Yeah, I think the school closures are ultimately going to be the most destructive part of uh, this whole, uh, you know, 
all the events of the last year, I think they're going to be much worse than the virus itself when you consider that the difference in life expectancy between a high school graduate and a high school dropout is about five years. Um, and you look at the age of the people who are dying of COVID, a lot of them are losing less than five years of life. And then you consider millions and millions of kids have been locked out of school for various periods of time. Some of them still locked out of school. Um, it, it's, it's massive, the harms, the educational harms, and then by extension, the economic and public health harms are just absolutely enormous, both long-term and short-term, with the increase we're seeing uh, in suicide and drug overdose in the pediatric age group, which is, uh, you know, I see another one of these tragic stories, it seems, every other day. So it's been really, really bad. And I put a lot of blame on the teachers' unions because they've really corrupted the science. It's been fairly clear uh, from very early on that children uh, are at exceedingly low risk with this virus. It is less dangerous for children than influenza, and it replaced influenza this year. We didn't have it in addition to flu, we had it instead of flu. And so, you know, in a sense, this was actually the mildest respiratory illness season for children ever, uh, in that, you know, the usual virus that kills, you know, around 500 kids a year in this country was gone, and we had a virus that instead only killed, you know, 150. You know, I say only, obviously, you know, every death's a bad thing, but, you know, it, it was a uh, it was a mild respiratory season for children, not a severe one, and yet they were locked out of school. And you could say, well, you know, what if teachers were at risk? Well, you know, it, there, there's always risk in the world, but teaching is not a, a high-risk profession because when children do get this virus, they tend to be significantly less infectious with it than adults, and they rarely infect adults. They sometimes do. It's not impossible, but it's rare. And, of course, you, you layer on top of that that other than the handful of teachers that are very old or medically compromised, they're at very low risk themselves based on what we know about the virus. And the number of teachers that had a you know, legitimate health concern, uh, it should have been small, and it should have been small enough to accommodate without shutting down schools, and we should have been able to do that. But the, uh, the unions, I think, saw an opportunity to gain money and power and leverage and everything like that, uh, political influence. And they're now making ever escalating demands. And so, you know, originally they said, you know, you know they said, we're, we don't want to go back, uh, you know, until the case rates are lower and then case rates were lower. They said, no, we want to wait for a vaccine. Now they're saying, even with the vaccine, we don't want to go back unless there are, you know, brand new ventilation systems and new buildings and smaller class sizes and sort of the demands just sort of oh, go on and on and on and on. The new one that I just saw a few days ago is they were saying, actually, the buildings were not safe enough to work in even before COVID. And so, you know, we need these various facilities upgrades or else it's not safe enough for, safe enough for us to go there. And this Biden administration, a lot of people were optimistic. I thought I, I was never optimistic because I'm a cynic, but a lot of people were optimistic they were going to have reasonable science-based uh, guidelines from CDC. It was going to lead to the rest of the schools opening up. And instead, uh, the CDC director basically shelved her own scientific conclusions, including things she's written in the past, and, you know, went with a version of the guidelines that was essentially dictated by the teachers' unions, and the unions were out bragging that they basically wrote these guidelines, and, uh, you know, written into these guidelines is this idea of a six-foot distance between students, which there's no scientific basis for, uh, but if you do that, it basically makes full-time school impossible unless you build a whole bunch of school buildings and hire a whole bunch more teachers, and so uh, that's kind of where we are, but it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a it's a two America situation because uh, in most places in America, schools are open and have been since August. But then in the big cities, uh, 
you know, they're, they're mostly closed. And many of them have been closed continuously now for about a year. And, you know, those are the places where it seems hard to, to budge, to get any movement on getting kids back in school. And, uh, you know, we're going to potentially have, a, it's going to be very hard for all these kids to catch up. It's going to be a huge challenge to not lose these kids, especially the ones you know, there are a lot of kids who never even logged on to these online platforms. And so, you know, they're, you know, schools might not even be able to locate them when they finally do reopen. That's really interesting. Let's continue from there in a moment after a quick break. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. I know a lot of good teachers. I've had some in my life, but the demands I continue to hear is almost like, Hey, why don't you just keep paying us so we can just stay at home? I mean, <laughs> well, you know, I feel bad for a lot of the teachers, and I don't really blame the the individual teachers uh, so much as I do the union leadership, because a lot of these like crazy hybrid schemes and stuff like that are actually much harder for the teacher than just teaching in a class, and they got to like worry about the ones who are on the Zoom the same time they're talking to the ones in the room, and they got to prepare packets every day and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the teachers who are actually like really working it hard and doing a good job trying to keep everyone engaged, they're probably working a lot more than they've ever worked before. But of course, you know, if you don't have one of those, if you have a teacher who's sort of, you know, phoning it in from the beach in Puerto Rico or whatever, uh, you know, it's almost like not having school at all. And so I think that, you know, the just the experiences that different that, that families are having with this remote stuff is just wildly variable. Uh, it's, it's sort of luck of the draw. And, um, you know, but the, but the bigger problem is, you know, you can't have a functioning, you know, you, you I shouldn't say bigger because the educational losses are probably the biggest, as I mentioned, but sort of the other related problem is, you know, how can you have a functioning society if 
you know, somebody's got to be watching the kids all the time because, you know, they're not allowed to go to school. People design their lives around their kids are in school that part of the day. Now you got to either find a daycare or hire a nanny or, you know, a lot of moms have left the workforce because they're watching the kids. Just it's been enormously disruptive and, uh, it, it's gone on far, far longer than I think, you know, anyone expected. Yeah, and I, and I don't disagree with you on the teacher point. I think it's important for them to go back to school safely. But the unions are making things very complicated. And the students are supposed to be the real gifts here. There are the real prizes where we got young minds who need to continue to get educated so they can be the leaders of tomorrow. And if they don't have teachers doing that, then how can they be the leaders of tomorrow? So that's that's my point. My last question for you is, given the data you've studied, how effective have these vaccines been? Because we just saw recently some reporting of a a former news anchor, I believe she was, who took the vaccine and then the next day she died. How much should, and I'm not saying that it was a correlation, it's just what happened. How much should the public trust these vaccines, especially in the African-American community, where we've seen things like the Tuskegee experiment, and people really don't trust vaccines and they don't trust any kind of medicine just about for older African-Americans in a lot of cases. They don't trust any medicine that they would get from um, the government. So, in other words, the vaccine. I look at the D.C. Uh, COVID data a lot because I live here. And, um, you know, the, the COVID deaths are overwhelmingly black. I mean, it's I think D.C. population is like 45 percent black, but the COVID deaths are like 75 or 80 percent. And then you look at the vaccination data and it's like all white people getting the vaccine, which to me indicates that, you know, and I know they're trying, they're trying to get the vaccine out in the black community for sure, because that's where most of the burden of the disease has been. But to me, the fact that the numbers are what they are, I mean, they don't want the vaccine. They're, they're uh, passing on it or they're very hesitant to take it. And, you know, maybe it is that history uh, that's informing that. I, this is my view. I think, you know, we've got, we've got pretty good data uh, from the clinical trials, and we've got some additional real-world data as it's rolled out. Uh, you know, it's not a full approval. It's not what you would have with a normal vaccine that would go through years of uh, development and years of study. Uh, that's why it's called an emergency use authorization, because we, we don't know the long-term or even really the medium-term. Uh, you know, that's we're going to have to wait and, and see for all of that. Uh, but I think that we have enough data that if you're in a risk category, uh, you're much better off getting the vaccine than you are risking getting the virus. And by a risk category, I mean, uh, I think anyone above the age of 70, you definitely want to get it because above the age of 70, if you get the virus, it's a better than 5% chance you're going to die. That's one in 20. Uh, you know, there's no way the vaccine is going to be more dangerous than that. So if you're above age 70, I think it's a no-brainer you want to get it. And then, you know, if you're down to age 50, you probably still want to get it because the there there's still considerable risk with the virus. And then, you know, I think below age 50, it's really, I think, you know, the virus itself is very low risk for you below age 50, unless you're in one of the medical risk categories, uh, you know, diabetes, severe obesity, something like that. Uh, it's more about, I think, the choice of, you know, do you want to say that you had it in case Ticketmaster's requiring it for a concert or a sporting event, or is it just easier to have had it than not had it and that kind of thing. So I, I think that, you know, if you're in a high-risk group, you want it, in my opinion, because the even with the unknowns about the medium and long term, it's going to be better for you than risking getting the virus. Uh, if you're not in a risk category, I think it, it's, you know, it's just a choice whether you whether you're more worried about kind of the 
um, you know, maybe unknown long-term effects from the virus versus of the vaccine and uh, the sort of the, uh, you know, kind of the lifestyle or social benefits of being able to say that you have it in case, you know, there are things that require proof of vaccination and that kind of thing. So that would be my, my thinking. I mean, I'm only 41, but I, you know, if they offer it to me, I'll probably get it. Um, because, you know, from what I've seen in the data, uh, the risks are very, very low. And I think it'll be much easier to say, I already got the vaccine. If somebody's bothering you about, you know, a mask or a distance or whatever, just say, no, no, I got it. I, to me, the convenience of being able to say that is worth a very low risk. But I mean, people do need to make their own decisions for this. And this is why, as I was saying before, the, 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 exit from all of this nonsense and the restrictions cannot be tied to a certain percentage of people have to take the vaccine. That's the wrong way to do it and the wrong way to think about it. The way to do it is to say, you know, can everyone who wants it get it? And once everyone who wants it can get it, then you can relax everything because people have kind of made their choice whether they want to risk the virus or go with the vaccine. Uh, but but we, I don't think we should uh, try to force or coerce people. I think you should let people make the choice. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and educating us on this, Phil. We really appreciate the work you do. Can you tell people where they can follow you? Uh, yeah, I'll give a couple of things. Uh, AmericanCommitment.org is the main organization uh, that I run, if people want to look on that and uh, see the issues that we're working on. Uh, the other thing is I do a daily newsletter with uh, Steve Moore and John Fund uh, that's free. It's kind of got all of our thoughts and the updates on stuff related to the virus and the economy and you know, energy policy and other stuff like that. Uh, and uh, Newt's a subscriber. He likes it. So uh, if people want to get that, it's free, as I said. Committee to UnleashProsperity.com is the website for, for the newsletter. And then the last thing I'll mention is uh, my Twitter. I'm kind of an addict. I'm on there a lot, and I put a lot of charts and data and stuff like that out that way. And that's my last name, Kerpen, K-E-R-P-E-N. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on here, Phil Kerpen. We appreciate your insight. And certainly if uh, Newt is following your newsletter, we'll be sure to check it out. So thank you again for joining Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Thanks to Phil Kirpin for a great interview. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, please email me at outloud at gingrich360.com and I'll try to answer them in our future episodes. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Parler at Gianno Caldwell. And if you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up a copy of my best-selling book titled Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans that Liberalism Failed. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Klingman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.